Welcome to this week's edition of The Worth Report. Each week, we bring you financial news that you can use to help you with your financial future. Now, here are your hosts, Nick Wharton and Glenn Wright. Good Sunday, and welcome to The Worth Report. If it's Sunday morning, it's The Worth Report. I'm your host, Nick Wharton, here with my good friend and colleague, Glenn Wright, founder and president of Worth Financial. Each week, our brand promises to bring you news that you can immediately use to manage your financial planning and offer commentary on local, national, and global events that affect your ability to sustain your financial future. Glenn, my friend, how are you, man? We're here again on a nice Sunday morning. Good morning, man. Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. I'm, I'm watching these political events that's happening. I mean, this is almost comical. Well, it is. You know. If it weren't so serious, it would be very comical. In yeah. fact, you know, I was listening to a, a news report the other day that said that um, the level of stress that is associated to with just watching these debates, right? Mm-hmm. It's really causing illnesses, actually, because wow. the whole just the whole sense of it all. I have a, I have a aunt actually who's in town, uh, and she didn't want to watch debates by herself. She's staying at a hotel. She says, "No, I got to watch it with someone because Ooh. it's just too stressful to sit and watch." Wow, so it's having a sort of emotional, wow. physiological effect on people, and that's wow. that's something that's interesting. It's almost like watching the Knicks lose years ago. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm a New Yorker, and I just yeah. I hated it. It was just terrible. Yeah, well, you're probably used to it now, right? Okay, okay, yeah. You said, moving on, right? I've gotten better, I've gotten better, and they've gotten worse. So anyway, um, so today we're going to be talking about affordable housing, and we have some wonderful, wonderful guests here today who who are really skilled and deep intellectually and and as practitioners in this business. And so we're going to let them introduce themselves. Let's just start over here. Well, thank you. Hi, my name is Courtney Wharton, and I am a housing and homelessness research coordinator with Mecklenburg County Community Support Services. And my job is really to get data out around housing instability and homelessness so that we can equip our decision makers with data and research to make some good decisions to help us advance um, ending and preventing homelessness and increasing access to affordable housing. Outstanding. Hi, I'm Ashley Williams-Clark. I'm with the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. We're an applied research center focusing on the 14-county area, and I'm the assistant director for the Institute for Social Capital. We're an integrated community database, and my focus is on housing, homelessness, and housing instability. Thank you for having us. Wow, exciting. And I'm Pamela Whiteman. I serve as the Deputy Director for the City's Neighborhood and Business Services Department. And in that role, I'm responsible for the City's affordable housing efforts, or as I like to say, housing opportunities, housing um, for Mm -hmm. people, code enforcement, and community engagement. You know, over the last several weeks, we've been just having uh, an amazing conversation that goes from, you know, personal accountability around financial planning to how structures um, lead to uh, inequality and disparities in, in our community and, and, in fact, the nation. And so all these issues have taken on a brand new shelf life in the aftermath of the Charlotte protests. And I know all of you have been, you know, diligently doing this work prior to this, but I suspect that there's a newfound interest in the work that you're doing. Have you, have you found that to be the case? I would say absolutely. There, there is an accelerated interest. There's a heightened interest. Uh, there seems to be an increased amount of political will and community will. So definitely a perfect storm, if you will. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, you mentioned a perfect storm. And, and, you know, I have to tell you that I worked at a company some years ago and the CEO, I worked at Corning Incorporated Fiber Optics, um, global giant, and we were having some issues in 2000. And the CEO gave an example of a perfect storm. And his executive vice president tapped him and said, he said, hey, Bill, you know, no one survived that perfect storm. <laughs> so, you know, that metaphor was, was risky, you know. So uh, I just say that because 
I get your point. It's a very, very valuable point. And so how, how would you react to that question in terms of newfound interest or uh, excitement around that? Yeah. And so I will say I've been in Charlotte for the past three years. So that's as far as my history goes, as far well, as housing sure. in Charlotte. Sure. Um, but in the past few months, I've definitely heard a lot more interest in understanding the issues. There's a lot of great work currently being done. We have the Charlotte Mecklenburg Housing Advisory Board mm-hmm. that's been doing a lot of work around this area. So it's really interesting to hear increased interest. And mm-hmm. especially with the report coming out, it's been a great conversation starter to have people talking about topics and things that can be done to address affordable housing. Sure. Courtney, would you would you say that's a similar experience you're having? Absolutely. And I think what we found that this report actually came out on Wednesday, the day after the shooting. Isn't and so something? what we have found mm-hmm. afterwards is that there's been an increased amount of interest in this report because it's opened up this space where we've known this work's been going on and there's been gaps, but that there's a real sense of urgency to work on gaps that exist around affordable housing, mm-hmm. homelessness. And so what we've been really lucky to see is that we've had a lot of interest in hearing about this report and what strategies exist for us in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. So, so let, let, let's, let's go deep a minute then. Let, let's, let's talk about some of the core findings in, in the report and, and share where the report was, was, was um, who prepared the report and where, where, we can, where we can find the report. Um, There's two things I'd like to point out with that, and one is that the Housing Advisory Board of Charlotte-Mecklenburg about two years ago saw this need um, in our community for data so that they could make some really good decisions on um, how to advance the work of affordable housing and then homelessness. And the Housing Advisory Board is a volunteer-appointed board by both the city council, the mayor, and then the board of county commissioners in Mecklenburg County. And so the board saw that we need a series of reports to help inform our community and equip decision makers. So there's reports that are about homelessness, and then we found that we needed a report around housing instability and affordable housing. So last year, we did a couple of reports around housing instability to see how do we define it? What does affordable housing mean for our community? And we looked at a local data set to see what does affordable housing and housing instability look like in our community? And we looked at the waiting list of the Section 8 vouchers on Mm -hmm. Charlotte Housing Authority's waiting list. And what the Housing Authority, I mean, the Housing Advisory Board found was that we need to have more information on what strategies that we can do in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. So they decided to fund another series of reports um, funded by Mecklenburg County and partnered with the Urban Institute at UNC Charlotte to look at what strategies exist around the United States that we might be able to bring to Charlotte-Mecklenburg to see how can we increase affordable housing development. And that's really where this report was born. You know, I would add to that if I could. It's interesting that this report was released and a couple of weeks before, I believe, the White House released a, a toolkit, an affordable housing report. And interestingly enough, many of the tools that they suggest in their report from the White House are the same tools that are suggested in this report. So um, hmm. the conversations are not only happening locally, but they're also happening nationally. And that's really significant because we have not in this country had really intentional discussions around housing in a really long time. And I think one of the things that really came out of our conversations was Charlotte's unique. We have Mm -hmm. unique dynamics. We're in North Carolina. That has its own dynamics. And so as we were thinking about this report, we really wanted it tailored to a Charlotte context. So like Courtney said, we did focus on strategies that might be able to be implemented in Charlotte. And we focused on educating about others that might not be as feasible currently. But in looking at it and talking about what's that Charlotte context, why does this matter now and why it's always mattered, but... If we're looking at the situation right now, we Mm -hmm. are in a situation where housing costs are increasing. So from 2008 to 2015, the median gross rent 
adjusted for inflation, it increased by 11%. Mm. And if we look at, there's a, something called the Case-Shiller Home Price Index for single-family mm. homes. As of October 2015, we had officially surpassed our pre-recession housing price peak. And so at the same time that this is going on, right, with housing costs increasing, we're also seeing that wages aren't keeping pace. That's right. So if we look at that same 2008 to 2015 timeframe, if we're talking about rent, if it increased 11% during that same time period, approximately we're looking at a median income change of negative 9%. So wages going down, not keeping pace, while housing costs are increasing. So Mm -hmm. if you think about that, if someone's maintaining their income, housing costs going Mm -hmm. up. So at the same time that's going up, we're also having an increase in population, which is going to put pressure on the market as well. So looking at some of the most conservative of estimates, it's estimated that from 2010 to 2030, the commuting zone for Charlotte, the population will increase about 21%. And if we look at more moderate estimates of growth, we're looking at almost 47%. And actually, I'll put a slight plug in that Mm -hmm. on October 27th, so the Mm -hmm. UNC Charlotte Urban Institute and some other local sponsors are having Rebecca Tippett, who does demography for UNC Chapel Hill. And she's going to come and talk more about that population change. But when you take all that into a picture, what you Mm -hmm. end up finding is that a lot of households are housing cost burdened. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? So One of the standard definitions around affordability is that a household shouldn't be spending more than 30% of their gross pre-tax income on housing costs. And if they are, they're considered housing cost burden. Now, we can go into the fact that that's not taken into account daycare, transportation, medical care costs, Mm -hmm. all the other things that you factor into a budget. Mm -hmm. But but what do you include in the the 30%? The 30% is looking at the cost for the housing, including Mm -hmm. utilities. Including utilities. And so when we talk about affordable housing, that's the point, or opportunity housing, that's the point I try to Mm -hmm. make to people. All housing is affordable to somebody, right? And so someone earning $34,000, they deserve that housing to be affordable. And that's very hard to find here in Charlotte, as Ashley pointed out. So the point is, we need to, in this community, take the stigma off of affordable housing, thinking that Mm -hmm. it is a bad thing. It really is what we're talking about more is what you need to pay for the house. And it's not the projects. Right. So many benefits of owning your own home. And one of the, the numbers we like to really put out there, so there's a report by the National Low Income Housing Coalition called the Out of Reach Report. And it looks at looking at minimum wage, what would somebody need to, how many hours would somebody need to work in order to afford a unit at fair market rent? So this is talking about not a luxury unit, but something that is a safe, affordable unit. In Charlotte, Mecklenburg, minimum wage is $7.25. That's the same across the state. Someone would need to work, say, talking about a single parent with a child needing a two-bedroom unit. At minimum wage, they would need to work 92 hours a week in order to afford that unit. And once again, not talking about Mm -hmm. daycare or other household costs that you'd have to factor in. So let me just say, so so I would think that one one easy public, not easy, but one obvious public policy could be raising the minimum wage, I suppose. Is that a part of the equation as you you look at these issues? So your your local elected body can't That's raise correct. minimum wage. That's correct. Um, that seems to be a, a solution nationally, but yeah. your local elected officials can't do that. Yeah. Sure, well, that would certainly help. Oh yeah, without help, without help the issue. Well, sure. sure. Um, but but where are we in Charlotte right now with our affordable house? I mean, how what what's the shortfall? So according to recent HUD data, there mm-hmm. is a need for approximately thirty four thousand housing units in Charlotte. 
Now, that's not to say or suggest that all of those units would be newly built. And so it's a combination of how do we certainly help people through newly built units, but also how do we help people preserve existing units um, to remain affordable? How do we uh, both single family and multifamily? And then through one of the city's programs, how do we help people become that homeowner, as you alluded to earlier, through Mm -hmm. uh, a program that we have called House Charlotte? Um, And that program offers Mm -hmm. down payment assistance to families who have been um, determined bankable, right? So it's lender-driven. So it's a combination of solutions. And what I always say, this is a huge issue. And so the city can't do it alone. So um, it's a a community issue that requires community solutions, so public and private um, sector solutions. And the faith community as well. So if there are so many people who don't even know these resources exist, so if, if a family wanted to be a part of that program, who could they contact? Where could they go to even find out how if they could possibly qualify for one of these opportunities? Well, they could certainly um, log on to the city's website, www.charmec.org. Mm-hmm. Um, the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Housing Partnership administers that program. If, if you Google House Charlotte, you will find that contact information. And uh, let me take this opportunity to thank you guys for having us on. And so hopefully the word will get out to you. Absolutely. 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 So let's let's sort of focus on some of the conclusions and findings in in the study that, you know, would have obviously some public policy implications, but also, you know, serves as sort of cross-pollination between public and private uh, solutions. What's, What's that look like? To provide some background, so when we were looking at the report, we, of course, we looked at the data, talk about being a data nerd, and we, we looked at the data, but always believe that it's really helpful and necessary to have the actual context to what you're talking about. Absolutely. And so we had a series of interviews with different stakeholders around Charlotte developers, people involved in public policy, a whole range of people oh, that here. Be very interesting. Yeah, it was Particularly fascinating. With developers. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And we asked, what do you view as the biggest barriers to affordable housing development, specifically in Charlotte? And the two things that we heard loud and clear that I think every single interview spoke to, we heard financial feasibility. How do you make the numbers work? Mm-hmm. It's really hard. And so we focused in on strategies around that. And then looking at long-term affordability, how do you ensure that the affordable housing units that are developed ensure long-term affordability so that mm-hmm. they won't be gone but when somebody sells the house or they won't be gone in the next five years. How do you look at that? And that long-term affordability definition can vary. But the strategies that we looked at and that we chose to highlight are ones that have been done in other cities across the community, some similar to Charlotte, some very different to Charlotte. Okay. Um, around financial feasibility, some of the strategies that we looked at were looking at um, expedited zoning and permitting. Hmm. We looked at um, inclusionary zoning, which I know is... Um, something that's been discussed a lot around North Carolina. Yeah, a great deal. Mm-hmm. Housing impact fees, housing trust fund, which I know Pam can speak way more in depth about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, definitely want to hear about yes. those. Yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. And so Charlotte's definitely a leader in doing that work. Uh, land use incentive policies, which is something that's being done up in Asheville. And then looking at strategic use of public and private owned land for affordable housing development, the yeah. role of tax increment financing and synthetic TIFs. And then also highlighting the use of the 4% low-income housing tax credit. So there's a 9% sure. and then there's a 4%, 4%. And the tax credit is extremely important, but the 4% is a piece that hasn't been used as much. And then affordable housing overlay mm-hmm. zones. And then as related to long-term affordability, we looked at community land trusts, affordable housing deed restrictions, 
employer-assisted housing, and then, like, again, inclusionary zoning. And for all of these, what we tried to do in the report, which I'd encourage everyone to take a look at, it's hosted on Mecklenburg County's website, um, we look at what are the pros and cons of each of these, and then also who would be involved in the conversations around it. It's definitely a broader community conversation, but who mm-hmm. are some of the key players that if this approach were to be further discussed, who would be involved in that discussion? Wow. So so this is interesting. So you, you said at the top of this conversation that, that uh, and, I, and I believe this, that you know, Charlotte um, is a leader in so many aspects, right, in the country. But I also think, obviously, two things can be, be right but seem contradictory. One is that, okay, we've got a lot of interesting and progressive initiatives, let's say, but yet we're 50 out of 50 mm-hmm. in terms of you know, social mobility and housing being one key element. Yeah. So, so how, how, would you think, how are we to think about that? Yeah. How, how are we to make sense out of that? Well, you need 34, and I think the, the number that gets me is 34,000 units are needed. So where are these people living now? So that's a great question, Glenn. Um, it, it's it, the thirty-four thousand is not to suggest that people are homeless, that they are out on the street. What it simply means is they are living in housing that is more than they can afford. So therefore, mm. they are cost burden, meaning that they have to, make, in some cases, choose if they're going to get the medication, choose if they are going to include their kids in social activities or not. So yeah. not on the street, just that they are paying more than that prescribed 30 percent. So, so saving is not an option for them. For many of them, no. Got it. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that we, we like to highlight, so it's a okay. continuum. So if you look at from being street homeless mm-hmm. all the way up to being stably housed and housing that mm-hmm. is within your budget and that you mm-hmm. can afford. Mm-hmm. And so I always joke that you know, my background, I went to school for affordable housing and community development, and we almost mm-hmm. never talked about homelessness. Mm-hmm. Wow. And mm-hmm. homelessness is taught very heavily in social work programs. Sure. But mm-hmm. we are still, I think, building in many ways that conversation mm-hmm. across the two. And so the work in Charlotte is reflective of understanding that bridge across the two. Right. But you have different types of homelessness. Mm-hmm. So you have the HUD definition of homeless, that someone's right. sleeping on the street or they're in a, right. a shelter, or transitional housing. Sure. And then you also have people who mm-hmm. are McKinney Vento. So those would be kids mm-hmm. who are, it's inclusive of the HUD definition, mm-hmm. but it's also looking at people who are mm-hmm. facing housing instability. Right. And then right. like Pam was yeah. talking about housing cost burden, which is tied in with instability. Right. And then, so it's a whole continuum of yeah, where people is, can be it? at any point. Wow. So, so let me, let me offer you this little quick, quick story, provide some context perhaps for this conversation. So um, a year or two ago, I was attending a sort of banking session uptown Charlotte. And, um, you know, the prominent Hugh McCall was on a panel with the uh, president of Federal Reserve, I think out of Richmond, Harvey Gantt, and had a, a writer that writes, writes about the history of banking. These are all executive types. It was really interesting. So uh, the then candidate, Ms. Roberts, asked a question from the floor, which was, can some of you, uh, any of you, respond to this economic mobility, you know, study? Uh, I think Hugh McCall, he, he sort of, I think he a little deferred the question said he was concerned about it. I remember the uh, president from the Federal Reserve mentioned he questioned the data. He didn't think the data is a shot in time, you know, maybe not entirely accurate. So this is what what, uh, Harvey Gantt said. And you guys know his history. And he kind of went through it. He says, listen, I came home from a family of five. Uh, Mother was a a teacher in school. Father, I think, was a laborer. Uh, They put us all through college, you know, went to college. You know my history, integrated Clemson, first African-American mayor, all of that. He says that if that if he were growing up today, his father would have been one of those guys you see sleeping at the bus stop. And mm. his story and the waste of human capital with his, his brothers and sisters, right, just would not have happened. 
just simply wouldn't have happened. And you know that that was just amazing to hear him to hear Harvey Gantt say that. I mean, it was like it was a hush over the room. How do how do you even react to that? I think one thing. Um, so we have a great partnership between the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute, Mecklenburg County, and the City of Charlotte for something called the Quality of Life Explorer, mm. and it's a great opportunity if you're interested in data and if you're interested in digging more into it from a data perspective and looking at a number of indicators related and that feed into opportunity. Um, It allows you to look at the neighborhood level at where Charlotte is on a lot of those different factors. Wow. Wow. And I might also add that um, one of the things that is pointed out in the report is that just as you look at the um, factors that contribute to the problem, you also have to look at those same factors that are interrelated as part of the solution. Correct. So Mm -hmm. we think about like the population is growing. Mm -hmm. How do we plan proactively for that? Um, How do you consider um, location as Mm -hmm. part of the solution, Um, access to transportation and childcare? So affordable housing development has to consider all of those pieces Mm -hmm. as an intersection Mm -hmm. with housing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's also, and this is not unique to Charlotte, there's also, you you talk about the geography of opportunity. How do we see a lot of the things that we've talked about play out? At a geographic level. And for those who attended John Powell's presentation, yes, yes. he talked about that geography of opportunity. And so mm-hmm. as we talk about where we are now as a community, there's also that understanding of where we've been and mm-hmm. what's happened to get us to where we are. Mm-hmm. And I think from, you know, one of the things that Dr. Powell talked about, too, is like mm-hmm. intended and unintended consequences. Absolutely. And there have been a number of policies related to housing. If you're looking at the banking world, what went sure. on with that, if you're looking at you know, FHA-backed mortgages, if you're looking mm-hmm. at you know, mm-hmm. African-American right. men being left out of the GI sure. Bill. There's a right. long history. Subprime that's, loans. And exactly. Whole, wow. Just, and the level of wealth that was lost yes. over that period that will not come back. And the lack of credit, access to credit for new home ownership opportunities. Mm-hmm. So there's all of this mm-hmm. that goes into the conversation that helps to take into account as we think about what these strategies are and how we approach it moving mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to pick up on something that both Ashley and Courtney talked about in terms of geography. If you think about where affordable housing is located and where it should lo- be located, we sit here in your beautiful studio, right? And we are along South Boulevard, right? And we know we have a light rail uh, system that is in place Correct. here. We also Train. know we are extending that. And so um, there is an opportunity as mm. we extend that to do more affordable housing or opportunity housing along the light rail. And that's really important because we just talked about um, people should not pay more than 30% of their income for housing. We also talked about that many people are doing that. They are cost burdened. And so if you add to that transportation Mm -hmm. cost, um, if they're paying 50% of their income for housing, add another 20 to 30% for transportation, there isn't much left to do anything with. Yeah, yeah, that's true. How about that? It hurts the economy. Oh, huge. It, yeah. it, there's no question about it. So so I know that there are many elements of this study that are really, I understand, conversational tools, an opportunity to engage. How would you like people to talk about this? Well, the first thing um, that we would like to propose is that the goal of the report was really to start the conversation, as you say, mm-hmm. um, because the report is not offering the answer. It is providing the options that are available 
based upon best practices around mm-hmm. the country. Mm-hmm. And we really need the community to understand what's available. And so there are certain things that the report does recommend that we might call low-hanging fruit that we can go ahead and tackle now that are easy wins. But then there's other things that may take a longer amount of time to accomplish. And in order to do that, we need to raise awareness. And so mm-hmm. to convene community groups, to convene your neighbors to talk about um this report, we provided a toolkit with this one to condense the critical components of it. You can also find that online. So it tells you um, the different strategies and then questions to consider so that you can look at which key stakeholders, decision makers do you know that you could kind of link to this. And then I think the other thing to remember is that when we think about affordable housing, what does that look like? It looks like the people you see every day, the people who drive our school buses, the people that you see who are security guards, the people that you pick up your prescription from. And so remember those faces as we think about the strategies that we need to implement. One of the things I want us to talk about, too, is Mm -hmm. what ways can we pay for this? There are some tax credits that you mentioned and some other financing vehicles. So one of the one of the strategies in the report um, is the housing trust fund. And so the city has a local housing trust fund. And what that allows is it allows for developers, developers, affordable housing developers like Laurel Street Residential, who did the Renaissance, who developed that in partnership with the Charlotte Housing Authority. It allows them to to leverage local dollars from the housing trust fund with what Ashley referred to as those tax credits that come from the federal government to the state. And mm-hmm. so how how do local taxpayers support that? Um, there are bond allocations on the, on the ballot every two years. There will be a bond, mm-hmm. um, a housing bond on your ballot when you go to vote in November. And so when those bonds pass, that's how people are supporting the funding in the local housing trust fund. Hmm. This is the kind of topic that we can really go deep into, right? And I, and I can tell you guys really enjoy talking about this because you're obviously very, very knowledgeable. And you also you have a practical way of looking at this, which, which is great. We'll have to have you come back, you know, to say the least, you know. You, Absolutely. you perhaps know this or not, but um, October 26th, uh, the Urban League is having the State of Black America um, uh, conference. And that's really an interesting uh, event because in the 40 years of the National uh, State of Black America report that's been it's an incredible document that really highlights minis, education, housing, uh, you name it. It's all there. And it's really the Urban League's recommendation to uh, legislators and the corporate community in terms of how we might tackle some of these issues, right? But this uh, rollout of that report here in Charlotte will focus really extensively on our issues. So we'll, we'll focus it on uh, how we uh, craft solutions to these issues. So I just want to invite you to that. That's really going to be an interesting time. In fact, Bakari Sellers CNN, CNN analysis is going to be hosting, uh, which is just outstanding, you know. Uh, so it's really going to be kind of interesting, to say the least. So normally when we have guests, we always ask one question at the end. Yes, um, we do. Give us a financial tip that you've used personally that benefits you, that may benefit the listeners who either um, and they're from all walks of life, who may be looking at uh, affordable housing or this. Anyone else? Um, something that's that's helped each one of you personally. So, Glenn, you'll probably appreciate this. Okay. Um, I have worked uh, for local government pretty much most of my career. Okay. Uh, my local government, they offer a 401k. Absolutely. Um, they offer it. You don't have to accept it, but they offer it. And so um, at an early age, I decided to um, start participating in that 401k, knowing that it wasn't going to yield a short-term benefit, um, but that it will be good for a long-term benefit. 
So fantastic. Three rounds of applause that, for that wow, one. Wow, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on. Gosh, I don't know if this is good advice or not. But Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, I got a credit card when I was in college. We'll take this one off. And <laughs> no, 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 I'm joking. I've, well, I used it to build my credit up so of that course. by the time no, I absolutely. need an apartment, I would have a credit score that could be used. That's but right. I always took the standpoint of I never spend outside my means. So I always mm-hmm. pay mm-hmm. my credit card off at the end mm-hmm. of the month, never spend more than what I can. Mm-hmm. Helps huge. your credit dramatically. Oh, that's, that's huge. fantastic. Oh, on so many levels. Yeah. Right. And and four hundred one k saving. I mean, to save now, the right. early bird catches the worm. Compound interest. We talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I'll share one. Um, in my former life, I was a social worker, and so I worked with families experiencing homelessness, moving into housing and learning to, um, or moving towards housing sustainability. And okay. so um, I was trained in this model called financial social work. And so you look mm. at the emotional aspects mm. of how you yeah. manage your money. And so mm. one of the tips that I learned from there um, that I use today is you, um, at the very least, spend one hour managing your finances a week. And so it gets you in the habit of um, developing good um, practices that can help build assets and wealth. Wow. Fantastic. That's information we've had in a long time. You know, we hear 90% of businesses fail, and primarily it's because of lack of business planning. So you have to have personal planning as well. Spend a little time. Write down your budget, know what's going in, what's going out, put a little bit to the side and decide where, where that's going to go. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. So spending that time, that's that's invaluable. Wow. That's great. Three for three. That's pretty yeah, good. That was powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, Courtney, Ashley, and Pam, thank you so much for being here with us today. This has been so informative, I'm sure, for our audience and clearly for Glenn and I. That, that's for certain. And so uh, we hope to see you again. Thank, thank you, you for having thank us. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting us. Absolutely. Glenn, I'll see you. See you. This has been The Worth Report with your host, Nick Wharton and Glenn Wright. To learn more about Worth Financial and to speak to one of their advisors, call 704-731-0121. That's 704-731-0121. Or log on to worthadvisors.com. That's worthadvisors.com.